Good morning. Everybody remember to set their scales back 10 pounds or so? <laughs> yeah. Amen. Ain't that the truth? How about 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 2, just about done with this chapter here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of heaven, the promise of a new body. Lord, so many blessings that you've given to us on this side of heaven, and yet the promises on that side are so many more. And Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be able to focus on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God today. Father, I pray that you'd help the people. Lord, I pray that you'd give them exactly what they need. Lord, I don't even claim to know what your sheep need. So, Father, I pray what has been studied and prepared for, Lord, will somehow be a blessing. We'll feed them. And, Lord, I pray that you get the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number, well, let's just go. We ended up on 25, but we'll pick right up here in verse 26. The Bible says, and, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will, and that's a, that's a strange passage, isn't it? Uh, a lot of the modern-day charismatic theology, uh, you know, they, they uh, treat the devil like he's a puppy dog on a string, and I, I tell you what, you better watch your mouth when you're talking about the devil. I wouldn't talk about the devil. I mean, I don't fret, and I don't fuss, and I don't, I'm not scared to say the word the devil, but I'm, let me tell you what, if... Michael, the archangel, wouldn't bring a railing accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuked thee, and I guess probably we ought to be quiet about it. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is the devil here, in verse 26, he gets permission from God to mess up men. Now, you want to try to grasp a hold of that fact. Uh, the devil, and we're talking about Christians here, and he gets permission from God to mess up certain men. And, of course, that's a provable thing through Scripture. you got Job, Ahab, Joshua the high priest, and Zechariah 3, so forth and so on. But uh, these men are taken captive, uh, not in Job's case, but these men are taken captive because of sin. And if the devil wants to find a reason to take you captive, let me say this. He can always find some ground. He can always find ground. Uh, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.12, As the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time. So uh, Solomon likens that, uh, that, that snare, that trap for the bird. You ever seen those traps, snares for birds? That's pretty interesting. Pretty clever to think that a bird would, you know, go in the same spot there and get caught by a little snare, a little piece of rope there. As birds that are caught in a snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time. Uh, Psalm 39.5, Bible says, Every man is best state is altogether vanity. So the best state that you can muster yourself to be is a bunch of nothing, <laughs> emptiness. Now you'll notice here that there's no recovery from the snare of the devil in 2 Timothy chapter 2 
without acknowledgement of the truth back in verse 25. In verse 25, you've got to acknowledge the truth that you're a sinner. Look at 25. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.25, he says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You know why some people are in a mess? I'll be real plain with you. Because they don't want to receive the truth. Now, I don't lead every, uh, I don't lead every message. I've, unfortunately, I've heard a lot of good Bible-believing preaching. I've heard a lot of, well, stuff that should have just been flushed. Amen. <clears throat> and some preachers like to lead with this. Well, ain't nobody here wants to hear the truth today. Really? I mean, if you didn't want to hear the truth, why would you come, right? I suppose maybe if you come in and you're sideways with the Lord and sideways with your spouse and sideways with the world and with everybody else, every once in a while, maybe you don't want to hear it. I get that, right? But to get up here and to proclaim that nobody wants to hear the truth, that's just stupid is what that is. I believe you all here, you want the truth. And once you get a hold of the truth, and you ought to pray that the Lord would let you acknowledge the truth. There's a lot of truth that gets preached, and just because I preach the truth doesn't mean that I have a grasp and handle on all, uh, all sorts of truth. Does that make sense to you? But when God gives you the truth, you ought to pray that the Lord will give you the acknowledgement of it and that you'd be able to take it. And, but you've got to acknowledge the truth. We say, what's the truth? Well, the truth is that you're a sinner and the devil's evil and he got a hold of you somehow. He did. And God's righteousness and God's word is right and you've got to acknowledge the truth to get out of the snare of the devil, not just like uncle and tap out, Right? But you have to acknowledge the truth, and then you have to be ready to receive instruction. That's why Christians are in a mess. Because they'll say, I believe the Bible's Word of God. That's not the acknowledgement we're talking about. The acknowledgement is, I know that that God is right, and I'm wrong, and now I have to accept this truth, and I have to learn some things at this point. And even if you're saved, you still got to acknowledge the truth that God's book is right. And you're wrong. Think about it. The way many of us were raised, we have to acknowledge the fact that God's right and mom and dad were wrong. Now, we're not saying demonize them. We're not saying, you know, you know mess with them. We're not saying, uh, you know, call them names. But the fact of the matter is, so the way some of y'all were raised, there's a bunch of heartburn connected to it. And if you, if you depend on your raising, then you're going to be in the ditch. <laughs> now, what you do, this is what you do. You live your life by the Word of God, and then the Lord, uh, He blesses you because of it. And then what you are is you're kind and you're amiable, and you look back and you say, thank God for the parents I had. They didn't have it all together. They weren't right on everything, but I'm sure glad they were right on what they were right on. That's the right way to do it. But you've got to realize God will not give a man repentance until he's ready to receive instruction. Look back at 2 Timothy 3.5, and that's worth writing down. God's not ever going to give a man repentance until he's ready to receive instruction. You ever wonder why old Esau couldn't find repentance? Because he wasn't ready to take any instruction. The fact of the matter with Esau is he thought that the, the blessing and the birthright was just a bunch of garbage. He wanted the physical blessings, but he didn't want the spiritual patriarch responsibility of being the spiritual, of the, being the preacher. See, in that Jewish family, that was the, the bless, the, the, what was the first thing? The birth, uh, birthright was that? The birth, that was a spiritual thing. And, uh, and then the blessing, uh, he just wanted the, you know, he wanted, you know, the thousand acres and all the deer he could shoot and all the, you know, you see what I mean? He just wanted the physical. 
And then uh, when both got taken from him, he was a mess. He couldn't find any repentance. He sought it carefully with tears. The Bible said, you know why? I believe he didn't want to hear nothing. He didn't want to take any instruction on what he was doing wrong. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, the Bible says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you mark it down and put it in your memory bank. God will never give a man repentance until he's willing to receive instruction. You say, does that mean I could be messed up and wrong on something for 20, 30 years? Absolutely. You could be wrong on something your entire life because you're not willing to take the instruction that comes with it. I look at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. Proverbs 5. Now, there's been a thought running through my head lately. It's uh, all the devices that you and I have and all the, uh, like, televisions and uh, computers and laptops and cell phones and, I don't know, gadgets and software, they all have default settings, don't they? Default. <laughs> and it's default of the machine half the time, Amen. <laughs> Have you ever stopped thinking your Christian life? If you're, not, if you're not trying to do what's right, if you're not actively trying to move forward for the Lord, you'll go into default. You know what default is? It's backwards. <laughs> and that's the way a lot of Christians live. Well, I'm saved. <laughs> well, thank God. <laughs> Amen. I'm glad you're saved. <laughs> but what are you doing about it? And if you don't do anything with it, man, I'll tell you what, you'll be in default. And it'll be your fault. <laughs> Now it says here in Proverbs 5.22, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. See that? That's a lot of Christians holding with the cords of their sins. They can't, they can't, the Lord won't give them repentance on the thing because they don't want the instruction. Christian, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Uh, look at 5.23. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly... He shall go astray. So uh, just a thought we're chasing down there is God will not give a man repentance until he's willing to receive instruction. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you should never stop learning as a Christian. Never. And if you're to the point in your Christian life where you uh, haven't learned anything lately, then maybe I'll check that thing out. We're not talking about, or you know, or, or, you know we're not talking about earthly knowledge. Not talking about, you know, you know, applied math and quantum physics and, you know, biological calculation. We're not talking about that. We're talking, has the Lord showed you anything? Has the Lord taught you anything lately? He said, I don't know about that. Well, maybe you're there. Maybe you're tied up in some sin. Well, but if a man's reasonable, you know what he'll do? He'll receive instruction, won't he? We say that. That's pretty common sense. If a man's reasonable, he'll receive instruction. If a man's reasonable, you can talk to him, right? There's some people you can't talk to, right? There's some family members you can't talk to. There's some Christians you can't talk to. Amen? Okay, I'll preach it whether anyone says amen or not. That's true. But uh, look at Proverbs 27. Here's the thing that tests a man's character more than anything else. Pro uh, Psalms 27.5. If a man's reasonable, he'll receive instruction. Bible says in uh, Proverbs 27.5, open rebuke is better than secret love. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, if you want to test a man's character, and I'm not saying that you need to go out here and rebuke everybody, 
We're not, we're not leading with that foot or that right hook, you know what I mean? But if you want to test a man's character and you're a man, you rebuke him openly and see if he can take it. <laughs> it's, good for, uh, it's good for the fellow that's doing the rebuking. It's good for the fellow that's getting rebuked. Uh, you say, why is it good for the fellow that's getting rebuked? Because it gives him some guts. You know, we're in such a, we're, I don't know how to say it, we're such a prissy generation. Just everything is just tiptoeing through that. Look, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I, I know this is going to be taken the wrong way somehow, and I don't want that taken. But we're such a lovey-dovey, huggy generation that when you need to throttle it up a little bit, you can't. You can't do it. You blow them to pieces. Again, that's default generation, Right? That's default Christianity. Let me tell you what, if you're trying to do your best and serve the Lord and love the Lord and grow in the Lord and someone chews you out, you should be able to take it. But not this generation. Come Hades or high water, amen? Ain't no one going to tell me nothing. That's default Christianity right there. But uh, that Bible says open rebuke is better than secret love. Now, you don't always need to rebuke, but if you're going to test a man's character, that's the way you'll do it. And it'll give that young man character and patience. And uh, we won't stay here and beat the dead horse, but in 2023, there's a terrible lot of young men who can't take a rebuke. Amen. They've, you know what my stepdad was really good at? <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> But every now and then he would dress me down, not physically, that's weird, right? But you know what a dressing down is? That's an old term for just letting you have it. And he would just say things I will not say from the pulpit. And you know, what did you do? You learned to stand there and take it. So, so what do you do to your boys? Every once in a while, I just dress them right down. Top to bottom. Why? Every once in a while, it's just your turn. But uh, you can't do that in 2023. Open rebuke is better than secret love. That'll end chapter, uh, chapter 2 here. Let's get into chapter 3. Now, I know there's some brethren out there. They think it's their job to rebuke everybody. Now, listen, uh, if, unless you're a pastor or you're a teacher or a preacher or you're a parent, amen, or you're in the position of leadership, uh, it's really no sense you going around rebuking people because when you rebuke folks that don't ask for it, it ain't going to do any good anyways. So uh, don't take that as a license to go chew everybody out. Now here in uh, 2 Timothy 3, you have a very well-known chapter. Some great preaching has been done here. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you've got to realize the closer you get to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the worse things are going to get. All right? You have to remember that the Adamic nature will continue to degenerate until the Lord himself comes back. And this generation talks about nothing but what? In verse 1, love, right? Notice that this last generation in verse 1, it's marked by love out of balance. <coughs> Excuse me. Love out of balance. And all they do is talk about is love. They love themselves, and that's the problem. Now listen, if you're not trying to serve the Lord, if you're not trying to do right, if you're not trying to live for the Lord, you know what your default setting will be? Your default setting will be to have an out of balance love with yourself. Now look at Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3.19, love out of balance. 
When you find the people uh, that are disgruntled with the church because the preacher is not loving enough, you're dealing with Laodicean Christians who are living in default Christianity mode, and they have love out of balance. Love out of balance. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul talks about a certain group of individuals whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. They love themselves. That's the problem. You see that? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So we get into uh, verse 1 here, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're dealing with love out of balance, and that's what this generation is uh, noted for. That's what we're noted for. And here's the thing. Although you fight against it, you have to be willing to at least acknowledge that whenever you're not moving forward for the Lord, that trigger is going to trip, and you're going to land in default mode. It's a fight right to the bitter end. Look at verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Isn't that interesting? You've got a generation of Christians. These are Christians we're dealing with. We're not dealing with lost people here. These are Christians who can't get enough of themselves. And uh, they have a terrible sin problem in the last days, and the sin problem is their violation of the first and tenth commandment. A violation of the first and tenth commandment. Then it says in verse 2, covetous. You see that? So in the last days there will be constant breaking of the first commandment, which is thou shalt love the Lord thy God, right? And the tenth commandment is covetous. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbors, so forth and so on, and his Xbox and his, his big screen TV and all that. Back in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, then it goes on to say, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. You notice that uh, Christians in this generation, they can't say enough about themselves. I'll say it again. Christians in this generation can't say enough about themselves. Now listen, uh, if you listen to most Christians, give it time. They'll talk forever about themselves. We're doing all right this morning, right? We're just, just Sunday school class, just easy stuff, right? And you're all on fire for the Lord. It's, oh, yeah, amen, preaching. Yeah. But if you listen to people, they just sit there and talk about themselves is what they do. And if you're not careful, that default setting mode in your Christian walk, you'll talk about you. There's a stupid country singer, and he wrote a song about talking about himself. There's a lot of truth in that stupid thing he wrote. But you listen to people, they'll talk forever about themselves, what they're doing, uh, what, they're, what they got going on. Now, I'll tell you what, it's easy to get into that, uh, that's a rut. That's a rut. Uh, you hear people talk about it in, in the, uh, the psychology world about being an active listener. It takes work <laughs> to be an active listener. Why? Because the natural inclination is just to talk about me. <laughs> Talk about what I'm doing. Look at me go. In the little train that could, you know. <laughs> and on and on they go. And uh, some Christians are like a, a roasted pig. Amen. They'd look better if they had an apple shoved in their mouth. Amen. <laughs> but Christians today, they're boasters. That was funny. You can laugh. And not only that, but they have need of nothing, Right? Now, I don't know, maybe this thought will sink in, maybe it'll settle, maybe I'm just full of beans, but that whole thought, whole thought process about being in default Christianity mode, 
the default Christianity mode is that uh, you don't need anything. Hey, you need anything, brother? I'm good. How many times have you said that? I'm good. And the Holy Spirit's like, you are not. You are a mess. You just want to tell them about it. And you're like, of course, because if I told them, they would tell everybody else. And you're like, well, you got a good point there. <coughs> Look at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We back on? Okay, there we go. Bible says, Because thou sayest I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I don't know how you read that. Every time I read that, I'm like, man, them crazy Laodicean Christians, man, they're a mess. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, but that's kind of where you live, isn't it? It's like, isn't that your address? Oh, no, Lord, I'm much more spiritual. I, I, I reside in the Philadelphia church period. And you're like, no, you don't. You live in Laodicea. Yeah. So here in 2 Timothy 3, they're proud of their sins. They're proud of their blasphemies. Well, ain't that the truth? They're proud of their self-righteous works. I mean, church is, uh, uh, just throw it out here. Church is so proud of how, how many they're running in Sunday school. How many they have. How many people they had on their bus route this week? That stuff makes me gag, man. You say, you're just jealous. No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I'm not jealous of it. You say, well, what if we had a bus? So would you allow a, a bus route? Sure. But who's going to put the gas in? Who's going to insure it? Who's going to drive it? You're going to make me drive it just because I got a CDL and you don't? You see what I mean? I'm not being a jerk. I'm just being straight with you. So they're proud of their self-righteous works. How many they run in Sunday school? How many, you know, how many first-time visitors they had? And uh, how many people joined the church? How many people got saved? I'd love to see people saved. Sure would. They're proud of their, uh, they're proud of their fables, their myths. They're proud of their education. They're proud of the schools that they came out of. The sole purpose of some churches is just to, just to support other schools. I'm going to support a school. This is an autonomous local church. And the Lord Jesus Christ gets first place here. Uh, but the, the Christians of today, the they're blasphemers. The Bible says they're disobedient to parents. They're unthankful. They're unholy. Uh, look at, uh, oh, what is that? Punched a hole right through my reference. I can't even read it. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, look at First Timothy one nine. That's a bummer. I got to reset my margins. Not so narrow. I try to get more on the page. You know, First Timothy chapter chapter one verse nine. Children of the last days. You know what they do? They murder their parents. You know, one of the most uh, one of the memories to me that kind of initiated the. Uh, that that was absolute truth is back in the early 80s, you had the Menendez brothers. Remember that whole thing about the Menendez? Man, that was shook the whole nation up. Should have shook them up. You say, well, he was terrible and he was mean. Yeah, but at what point does it ever give you a right to murder your parents? Well, he should have been in jail. Okay, maybe should have. He ain't now. 
and done blew his brains out. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinner, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers. So that's what the law is made for. That's how you know you're in the last days. All right, back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, talking about the, uh, the characteristics of the Christians in the last days. Perilous times shall come. Bible says in verse 3, without natural affection. You see that? There's your child molesters, your sex perverts. There's your baby killers. Without natural affection, the Bible says. Then it says truce breakers. Uh, those are people that uh, flush their marriage like it was uh, something they ate last night. False accusers, incontinent. You say, what's that? They can't control their eyes. Look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Peter 2, 14. Now, you and I need to be able to identify where we're at in this Christian life. You need to realize, unless we do something about it, we'll be the exact thing that Scripture's uh, uh, preaching about. It said uh, 2 Peter 2.14, their eyes are full of adultery. Ain't that something? And that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart. Uh, they have exercised with covetous practices. Cursed children. Uh, let me show you this one. Jeremiah chapter 5. This incontinent, this fierce generation, this adulterous generation that you and I live in. We're talking about Christians. Now here's a comparative reference that will uh, fit the uh, Laodicean Christian uh, quite well. Jeremiah 5.8. Bible says, uh, they were as fed horses in the morning. Everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. That's Christian, yeah. Ain't that something? Nay. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of animalistic passions out of control. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. By the way, thank the Lord for heat today. Thank the Lord we didn't have to call Colvin's back. By the way, they didn't charge us to come out twice. Praise the Lord. I'd have had to repent if they did, amen. <laughs> you say, are you like that? Absolutely, so are you, amen. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 1, look at verse 26. Now we're talking about a, a, a generation of Christians in the last days. They can't control their own perversion. They can't control their own depravity. They have a lack of self-control. And this describes it as well, Romans 1, 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. You say, what does that mean? It means they got the, the death penalty. You say, what's the death penalty? AIDS. That's the homosexual death penalty. And I'll say it again. AIDS is the homosexual death penalty. That thing originated over in Africa called GRID, gay-related immune deficiency disease. And then that was too uh, politically incorrect. Amen, amen. Don't care. But they're the servants of sin, and they're bound by their lusts. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Just running some verses on this stuff to see how this Bible ties that thing together. John chapter 8, verse 34. 
This is the cursed generation. This is a generation full of adultery. Can't control themselves. The last days, perilous times shall come. All these things describe Christians. Christians. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Amen. Ain't that the truth? See, when you're young, you don't understand that. You think you can sin and get away with it. And then you realize after a while you can't sin and get away with it. But then you think you can sin, even though you can't get away with it, but yet it doesn't control you. And the older you get, you find out when you sin, the sin ends up controlling you. And you become the servant of sin. Uh, we read it before. I'll read it again in Proverbs 5.22. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be behold with the cords of his sin. So Christians in the last days, they're bound to their sins. Why? Because they choose to be so. Remember, you were, when you got saved, you were set, you were made free from sin. So now if you sin, it's because you choose to sin. If I sin, it's because I choose to sin. And uh, so Christians in the last day, they're bound to their sins because they choose to be so. And many Christians today are just stupid enough and they run around saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Jesus set me free. He didn't set you free, he made you free. And because uh, they are that way, they don't think they need anything. And they think that their salvation is a license to live like they want and do what they want. Remember, 2 Timothy 3.1, lovers of their own selves. About a 200 birds just landed in the front yard. Ain't that something? Look at verse 3 again. <laughs> Without natural affection. <laughs> Truce breakers, false accusers. That's my ADHD kicking in. You'll forgive me for that. <laughs> Fierce despisers of those that are good. Ain't that wild? Christians in the last day, they're fierce. Would you agree? You don't agree. They're still fierce. <laughs> they're despisers of those that are good. Now, why would a Christian despise those that are good? Why would a Christian despise Peter S. Ruckman? Because they're fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Just saying his word makes some Christians throw up in their mouth. They're full of the devils. Why? After all that man did to give people, uh, you know, three different marriages, all fell to pieces trying to serve the Lord. And after all the missionaries uh, he ends up putting out and all the literature he puts out in defense of the King James Bible and people hate his guts. Lost people don't hate Peter S. Ruckman. Christians hate Peter S. Ruckman. You know why? Because you're stupid. <laughs> Amen. They're despisers of those that are good. You see, so well, I, don't, I don't appreciate the way. Okay, well, I'm sure we don't appreciate how you do half your life either. Amen. But they hate people like Roloff. They hate people like Ruckman. They hate the things of God. They hate the people of God. This is our crowd. And the sooner we acknowledge it, maybe the Lord will give us acknowledgement to where we're messed up. A lot of Christians hate the piano. They hate the pulpit. There's Christians that hate the organ. I had a fellow back in here five years ago. He was, a, he was a real dipstick in the Lord, of course. He had the nerve to say it out loud to everyone that he hated the organ. He's about three French fries short of a Happy Meal, amen. He's wrapped up in all kinds of perversion, wickedness, blew his family all to pieces and took other people with him when he left. But they hate the piano. They hate the organ. No God. They're lovers of themselves. They don't know God. They don't want God. Look at verse 4. Traitors, heady, 
high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And their natural affections are perverse, right? We already covered that. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's the general outlook of the world before Christ comes back. So don't expect a national revival. I didn't say we couldn't have one here local. I didn't say you couldn't have one in your own heart. Don't expect no national revival. It's supposed to get worse. Amen, it is. That's the general outlook of the world before Christ comes back. And I hate to say it, but you know in context, it's the general outlook of the church. You realize that everything we do and try to do for the Lord is going to be an absolute fight. An absolute fight that's going to kill half of us and the rest of us are going to leave mad. How's that for a positive preaching on a Sunday school lesson? <laughs> you try to do anything for the Lord, it's going to blow to pieces. I was praying before I got up here. I said, Lord, I pray that you just, just bless this, whatever we're doing here. Lord, let it not be in vain. Do something bigger than us. That's what we want to do. We don't want the Lord to do something bigger than us. We want the Lord to bring some young men here, some young families here, young men that love the King James Bible, young men that aren't a bunch of lazy dopes that know how to work. Amen? Young men that love the preaching of the Word of God, young men that want to serve the Lord. You say, you just pray for young men? Well, that's a good start, amen? Young families. But everything we do here is going to be a fight. And that's a general outlook of the church. And so we say this, instead of putting your head in the sand, we better at least take some instruction on what's going on. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness. Okay, so they go to church. And they're members of the church, but they don't know God. And then it says, but denying the power thereof from such what? Hang out with and go to dinner. Is that what it says? From such, text them at least twice a week. From such, engage in continuous communication, even though they hate God, they hate you, they hate your church, and they hate your preacher, and they hate everything you do. Right? They don't know God. They have a form of power. They have a pattern, but they don't have the real deal. It's easy to fake the, it's easy, easy to fake the power. <laughs> but they don't have the real deal. They have a form of godliness, but it's not real Christianity. Uh, the power thereof is the real thing. Look at verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. That's an interesting way to put that, ain't it? When you think of the word creep, you know what I think? I think of like Saturday morning cartoons. I know some of you all were like spiritual. They're creeping into houses, Right? And led captive and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. Now that'd be your Jehovah false witnesses, and that'd be your morons, uh, Mormons. And look at verse eight. They've got corrupt minds. You see that? And listen, when those uh, uh, individuals come to your door, you ought to be ready for them. When they come to your door, you ought to be ready for them. Are you ready? The Christians aren't ready in the last days. Christians aren't ready to give an answer to the hope that lieth within them, Peter says. Christians, we've got all the answers, but we don't know how to answer anybody. <laughs> we get an A on the test, but man, when they show up. <laughs> you know. Look at verse 7. Here they are, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why do you think those groups, all they focus on is prophecy? They just want to bloat your head up with facts. Facts and figures and... Look what we know that they don't know. Now in verse 8, you'll notice uh, next that Janice and Jambres, they're a type of men with corrupt minds. 
and uh, they're men that withstood the truth. They withstood Moses. Verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. I'll look over there in Proverbs uh, chapter 18. Might close on this thought here. Proverbs chapter 18. Janus and Jambres, they're a type of men with corrupt minds. Withstood Moses and withstood the truth. Over here in Proverbs chapter 18, notice this thing here, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Verse 2. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Isn't that weird? That's weird. You can put whatever word on it you want. It's just weird. But they're reprobate concerning the faith. By the way, that's why most men and women are on social media. Uh, in my personal opinion, which means nothing, this is the flagship verse for social media. Look at it again. That his heart may discover itself. You now live in the generation where everyone wants to be discovered. See, several generations ago, they would say this, if you work hard, hard work pays off. Now, nobody works hard, and they just want to be discovered. Well, look at all the talent that I have. Guess what? Talent don't get the bills paid, honey. <laughs> hard work will. I don't care if you can hit every note <laughs> in the bucket and the bucket itself. That ain't going to get the bills paid. <laughs> Uh, I'm talking about likes, shares, follows, subscribes. Uh, just go ahead and look at me so I can discover who I really have been all these years. That's what the Bible says, that his heart may discover itself. And that's why Christians are on there. Look at verse 9. Amen. Love me later. 2 Timothy 3.9. But they shall proceed no... Oops. <laughs> further. You see that? They shall proceed no further. You see, in this Christian life, you're only going to go so far. Their falsehood will end. People see right through them. And people that have a form of godliness, people that are lovers of their own selves, these people that are covetous, they're boasters, they're blasphemers, disobedient to parents, people that are unthankful and unholy, uh, the perverts with unnatural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fears, despisers of those that are good, heady traitors, having a form from such turn away. Why? Because they're going to be made manifest one day. It's called show and tell. <laughs> Remember that as a kid, show and tell? I never wanted to do show and tell. I just thought it was stupid. Look at verse 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs also was. That's a great passage right there. They shall proceed no further because God's going to stop them. And, of course, this is, has a reference also to uh, a second coming here. I look at Matthew chapter 13. I'll show you this. It's talking about Christians in the last day, talking about the condition of the church. It also has a comparative reference to uh, second coming. Matthew 13, 30. The Bible says, Matthew 13, 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I'll say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. What is God going to do? God's going to burn them up. He's going to burn them up. Look at Zephaniah 3.8. Here's the lowly Galilean. Here's, uh, you know, the soft and tender, loving Jesus. 
Zephaniah chapter 3. Now, some of us just better go ahead and admit inside of our heads, and I know you all know this, that we have, many of us have been raised with the wrong concept of who God is. Zephaniah 3.8, some people uh, act like he's uh, like an old senile guy in a nursing home somewhere. <laughs> some days a nursing home does sound good, but uh, anyways, that's not where the Lord's at. Zephaniah 3.8, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination, wait a minute, the Lord's determined something already? He sure has. Look what the determination is of the Lord, is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms and we'll all have a low-lit concert and raise our hands in the air and read the words on the screen on the wall. No. He said, for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So before you start getting upset at some of these coffee churches in town that are bringing in, I don't know, the masses, many times certain letters are silent in the, that word there, but they have big attendance and big uh, all this, that, and the other. You ever stop and think what the Lord's doing? You've got a group of people that didn't want the truth to begin with, you still with me? And so he's like, okay, go ahead. And then they go over there. And then they gather with everybody, and boy, this just feels so good, and it feels so right, and praise the Lord. And I'm telling you what, everyone loves, everyone is in love with everybody here, and I just feel so good when I'm there, and I feel so good when I leave. Let me tell you what, when I leave a good preaching service, I feel like a rotten devil. And the Lord's determination is if they don't want what I'm going to give them, then I'm going to let them get together and I'm going to let them build big works. Why? Because at the end of time, I'm going to burn them up. And there it is. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. And uh, so that's, we'll stop right there on that super positive note. <laughs> Amen. I can't even imagine teaching and preaching this about nine years ago. They'd have fell out the pews, but amen. <laughs> Y'all are tough. 